0: Well, that's the dog lead sorted. Those things give me no end of trouble (laughs) from one time to another. Lovely to be here tonight, friends, and uh, to have the opportunity of joining with you in your midweek meeting. It seems quite a considerable while since I've had the privilege of coming to this meeting, and for that reason, plus many others which I could give you, I'm delighted to be here tonight. Glad to see quite a number gathered into the meeting, which is good. I often tell people, and I say it again tonight, it's very difficult to hold meetings without people. You simply cannot do it, or do it beneficially and well. So, I'm delighted to be here, and I'm very glad to see you in the meeting tonight. May the Lord bless you, and bless us all as this gathering continues. Maybe you're looking out, as I am today, upon the world in which we live, and you're asking yourself the question, what on earth is going on? People that I have talked to have come to me and said, are we really living in the last days? It certainly looks that way. And of course, we know tonight that the last days began when our Lord Jesus Christ was born. So we've been in the last days for a very long time. But are we in the last of the last days? Well, that's a good question, and I wouldn't exactly have the answer to it. Someone has said concerning the Lord's return that we're not told to look for signs, but at the same time, we can't. Help looking at them. And you may ask yourself, what do they mean? Well, according to my Bible, and as I see it tonight, the second coming of the Lord Jesus is something that takes place in two stages. First of all, he's coming to the air. The call from the world is own to raise the dead in Christ, to unite us together as one, and to take us up as one body to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to be a very remarkable day. I believe that to be the blessed hope of the church. But the reason why I say that We're not to look for any kind of sign for that is this. How do you get a sign for quickly? Behold, I come quickly. How do you get a sign for the twinkling of an eye? Well, an old fellow I know very well when he does a bit of preaching as he does from time to time, He refers to that as half a wink. Well, how long does half a wink take? Not very long. And on we could go there with the terms that are used to describe the day when the rapture will occur. So I believe if we're looking for signs for the rapture, we're looking wrongly. We're not going to be given any. But when it comes to looking at signs, what do they mean? Well, I honestly believe they mean this. They're looking at signs, a multitude of them that are given to us in this book, which deal with a revelation. When the Savior who came for his own and took us all away to glory... Is coming back again with his own. And he's going to set up here on earth a mighty kingdom, which the Scriptures tells us will last for 1,000 long years. That's what we call the revelation. And, of course, that is going to occur. But we're living in very remarkable... And at times, very stressful days. So many believers I've heard saying this, that as they look out upon the world today, they find it very, very depressing. I can understand that. pastor friend of mine that I know very, very well and have done for many years, is one of the happiest men I've ever met. And I said to him one day, I said, how does it come that you're so cheery and happy all the time? Well, he said, there are two things that I refuse to do. I said, what are they? He said, I won't read a newspaper. That's a start. Gee, you couldn't believe what they're writing them anyway. So he won't write it, read a newspaper And he says, I won't listen to the news either on the radio or the television. So he said, I'm just happy enough to go along with the Lord and serve him and to do it to the best of my ability. And boy, I can tell you he really does. However, when you look out in the world, friends, you wonder to yourself, how long can this old world go on? And I'm not going to spend time in the meeting tonight talking so much about signs to you. But you can do that for yourself. But I'd maybe try to whet your appetite with one or two. You see, the Scriptures tells us that in the last of the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. What about Gaza tonight? What about Ukraine tonight? I have to go to a meeting tomorrow evening to speak to a number of Ukrainian people who have made it here. And probably will have to do something I always dread doing. And that's talking through an interpreter. I don't know anything about their language at all. So I hope they have an interpreter If they haven't, they're in trouble, and so am I, for the meeting tomorrow evening. But my friends, I know a man very, very well who is very knowledgeable when it comes to world affairs and the events that are going on around us. And I rang him up the other day on the phone. The reason why I rang him was this. I said, tell me. You keep your eye on world affairs. And I know he does this in a very excellent manner. I said, tell me, how many wars are you aware of that are raging on earth at this moment in time? And he shocked me with his answer. He said, there are actually 28 of them that I know about. And he mentioned some, I'd never even heard of them at all. But our wars and rumors of wars, when you hear that kind of a testimony, not there today. They are. And what about earthquakes? Well, they don't seem to even make headline news anymore. They are terrible, terrible events. I've never seen an earthquake. I've never seen the effects of it just standing there and looking at it. I would have to rely on what is beamed into my room, no matter about my pastor friend. If he won't look at it, I do. But they're a horrible experience. And those are two of the things that are to characterize the end times. One more I'll give you as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming again of the Son of Man. I want to tell you, friends, we've been in the days of Noah quite a while. We have a government. I'm not a politician or anything like that. I'll vote, but that's about it. But I do kind of try to keep an eye on what is going on. And they have legalized on these islands here every single crime and sin for which God sent the flood. For which he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah and for which he destroyed Jericho. I could go on. They're all legal practice in our land today. Listen to the word of the Lord again. As it was, so shall it be in the days of the coming again of the Son of Man. We've been climbing that ladder, friends, on planet Earth for a long time. The tragedy is, I feel, that we have become so terribly affected by the seriousness of it that it doesn't seem to hit us the way it should. Maybe I should say so terribly unaffected by the way it has happened that it doesn't seem to hit us the way that it should. What I've discovered is this. Very often in the preaching of the gospel, I get the opportunity to talk to people that are not saved And I've seen them trembling as they've talked to me about the days in which we live. They don't want to be lost. And yet the tragedy is some of the ones I've dealt with don't want to give up their sin either and come to the Savior. That's a dilemma. But somehow the church today is very, very much asleep to the reality of the Lord's return. I'm not going to do this, but I wonder if I asked for a show of hands for everyone in this meeting who has been thinking about it and praying about it today, what would I get? Would I be looking into a desert? The very next event on the divine time clock, the coming of the Savior to the air. And I fear very often we're going to be caught up and caught on. I don't think you would want that. So that's what I'm burdened about tonight for this meeting, to prepare ourselves as the people of God for the day when Christ will come. I have a very close friend, a brother in Christ. He lives in the Armagh area. And it's always generally a pleasure to meet him. But you have to know him to know him. That makes sense. Whenever I met him at first, I thought he was the biggest nutcase I'd ever come across in all my life until I got to know him. And when I got to know him, I discovered he was a highly intelligent man in his own way. He talks about everything as he sees it. How did you come here tonight, James? I came by the MI instead of the M1. I'll give you a ring in the telophony instead of the telephone. And on I could go. I hope you ladies won't be insulted by this one, but I was walking through Armagh one night, and I met him, and uh, very rarely have I ever seen him without his wife being with him. I said, James, you're out in your own tonight. I said, I am. I said, where's the good lady? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said this. She's away to the waybreak You know this. Slimming club. You know, the way breg that you would weigh cattle on. <laughs> I didn't tell her what he had said. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, that wasn't meant as an offence. But that's the kind of James. But why I'm telling you that, my friend, is this. I was standing in a DIY shop in Avon one day, and I was patiently waiting to pay for some things I had picked up, when all of a sudden a hand got me like that just there on the wrist. And I turned around quickly, and it was him. And he looked at me and he said this, Brother, are you ready for the liftoff? You got that? Now that was his way of putting it. The liftoff, when the Lord will come and lift us off this planet in a moment, quickly, in the twinkling of an eye. I want to tell you, friends, that got into me. It really did. And even though it was spoken in a very, very remarkable and strange way, it hit my heart like a brick. It really did. And you know, it's so possible as a believer to be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly use and someday when the Lord does come we may be taken by surprise we need to be waiting at any moment for the Savior's return if I'm to give an opinion tonight I honestly believe it's closer than we realize the day when Christ will come That's my own opinion. That's only an opinion I'm giving you. But when I look around, my friends, in the world we're in, things cannot go on much longer. What's needed is divine intervention. Dear man, I know in the town of Portadown called Charlie, Charlie's an alcoholic, an out-and-out alcoholic. But he met me one day and he said to me, Harvey, tell me, when is Christ coming again? I said, uh, Charlie, I really can't tell you that. And I quoted him that verse of that day and hour, knoweth no man, no but the, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I said, why you ask me that, Charlie? He said, listen, Harvey, I may be an alcoholic with a serious drink problem, And he said, I can't master it. It masters me no matter what I try to do. And I've tried to get him to the Lord. So far, I haven't succeeded. But he says, I'm wise enough to know this, that there's no other answer to the problems of the world today but the second coming of Christ. That wasn't bad from a man who's usually out of his mind with booze. He knows. Are we as close to it as that? Now, I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ came tonight. Are we really ready? Prepared to go? Willing to leave everything and rise to meet the Lord in the air? I'm talking from personal experiences here tonight. I met a lady during a mission some time back, and she said to me, I'd been preaching for almost a week on the Lord's return and I noticed she was very active at the beginning of the mission. She was starting to back off a bit and I thought I wonder what's wrong here and I made up my mind to go and see her and I did and she told me this. She said my husband and I came to this area to live and he's a chemist and about a year ago he managed to buy a business for himself. She said, our two boys are now in college being educated. She said, we've got this lovely bungalow. The day I met her, she was out pruning roses in the garden. And she said, I'm going to be honest with you. Your preaching about the Lord's return annoys me. Because she said, I'm not really willing to go. You hear that? That's not a yarn, friend. That's a fact. I'm not really willing to go. wonder how we stand on that one tonight. I'm not telling you anything but to look in. That's all I'm asking you to do. Examine your heart and see where you stand in relation to this matter. However, I want to take you to the rapture tonight and I want to bring you up into heaven and I want to show you what lies before you as a child of God as I, I possibly can and into this tonight I want to try to intermingle the golden crown now there are six crowns in the Bible let me make this clear That five of them have got to be won to be worn. I'm not talking about them tonight. There's only one that I'm guaranteed, and that's the golden crown. It's the status symbol of the child of God, and every believer will get it. But if you want the other five, then you've got to work. If you haven't done well, friends, you will not hear well done. That's how it is. But we want to talk about the golden crown a little bit tonight, and maybe that will inspire you to think about the rest. Now come with me to the last book of our Bible, the book of the Revelation, and let's turn to chapter number four. Revelation and the fourth chapter. I've been reading through the book of the Revelation recently quite a bit looking at some of the signs and symbols there and seeing if there's any comparison between the Revelation and many of the things that are going on in our world tonight. You would almost think sometimes you were reading from a daily newspaper. That's how it is. Read the Revelation when you get an opportunity and I think you'll find I'm right there. It might shock you. Just how much this book has begun to be unfolded. Now, are we in the beginning of sorrows? There's that possibility. The beginning of sorrows comes before the Great Tribulation. But we want to go to this chapter, and I want to deal, if I possibly can, with the opening four verses. And I want to give you a word for every verse. Verse one lock into your mind the word rapture, the rapture of the church. I remember a dear brother one time inviting me to come and preach on the rapture of the church and I said I would go and he put an advert into the paper and I don't know what on earth they did, whether it was him or them, but when the advert came out that Brother Shaw would preach on such a night on the rupture of the church instead of the rapture of the church. Well... Maybe that was more appropriate, I don't know. But that's how it went into the daily paper anyway. I had some fun sorting that out with a number of people that I met, I can tell you. But uh, that's just an error of typing. That's how that one worked out. However, let's get to this chapter. Now John says, After this I looked. Let's take a minute there. After what? After chapters 2 and 3 which bring before us a graphic account of the church age right from the day of Pentecost until the conditions that will prevail when Jesus comes again. I won't do it tonight, but I'd only need to take you to the meanings of the names and we can prove from history beyond a doubt that those Two chapters are a prophecy. You take the word Laodicea, for example. The word Laodicea means the rights of the people. Could you get a word to sum up better the day and age in which we live? It's rights and wrongs everywhere. But what John is saying, when that's all over, I looked. Now, watch this. He had been looking earthward, but now... His attention is drawn heavenward, and a great revelation comes. Now watch till we see what he saw. And behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, let me make this plain tonight, friends, that as John is looking up, he doesn't see a door opening. No, no. The term actually means I saw a door that was already opened in heaven. This is the door that our Lord Jesus Christ opened when he went away from the mount and gave the commission, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he too went up to the glory land and he opened the door and he went in himself to the Father's right hand as we'll see later and sat down, and every believer from that day till now has walked through that door. That's it. And if you go on to glory before the Savior comes again, then you'll go through that door as well. That's the door that awaits you. More about that later. I saw a door that was already opened in heaven. That's a revelation. Now we come to an invitation And the first voice which I heard, now there are many voices in the Revelation. If you want to take time to underline them all, it's very thrilling and very interesting. But the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said unto me, and which said, sorry, come up hither. When you go to the Thessalonian epistle, doesn't Paul tell us that the Lord Jesus is coming with the voice of the archangel? Didn't he tell us that he's coming with the trump of God? Is the voice here, not clear and plain, coming up hither? And the trumpet sounds? Well, I believe that this is Thessalonians' out in reality. This day has arrived when the church age is done. It's finished. And now John's attention is drawn heavenward. So he gets a revelation and he gets an invitation. Come up hither. Very often I'm asked the question when the Lord Jesus comes with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God Have we any idea what he will say? What will be the words of that voice? Well, it could be this. Come up hither. And I want to tell you that will do me fine. I'd be very glad to hear that. Come up hither. I believe that that possibly could be what he'll say, but I wouldn't let to bait my shirt on it. I might lose it. You see, I'm not a betting man anyway, but I think you know what I mean. That's just my own thinking. Now watch what he said to, to John. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And the idea is this, John, come on away up here. And I'm going to show you things that will happen when the church age is over. Past, gone, finished, taken away. Then there are serious days to come tribulation, followed by the 1,000-year kingdom, and then the great white throne, and so on. And John was going to get all those details now. God was going to give them to him. Now, you keep the word rapture locked in the back of your mind. Now, in verse 2, I want to call this the review. A review is a very, very important thing, just looking over something. And John says this, and immediately... I was in the Spirit. So a revelation followed by an invitation is followed by a translation. Immediately. Is it the Savior coming quickly? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Immediately, if you like. John leaves behind the natural world. And he's brought right up into the spiritual world. That's where you and I are going. He's brought right up in vision into heaven itself. This is something. This is amazing. This is what we will see whenever Jesus comes again, or if the Lord takes us home before that. prayers. This is the review of it. And then he goes on, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Now, let me clarify something here. This is not the idea that a throne was brought forward and placed down there. A throne was set in heaven. The very opposite is the case. The word set there, do you remember what Abraham said to the rich man? Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. It's the same word. Exactly. I saw a throne fixed. Fixed set, established in heaven. This was God's throne. This is the throne from which God governs the universe. Well, we sing God is still on the throne. Well, here it is. God's throne out in heaven. Some have suggested this may be the great white throne, friend. I don't believe that for a second. I believe the great white throne takes place out in space. I'm not going to try and prove that now to you in the meeting, but that's, I believe, where it will be out there in space. A totally different issue altogether. This is the almighty eternal throne. You know, I go along to a meeting sometimes to preach, and there's a, an old grumpy old fella there. Don't know whether you have any old grumpy fellows in St. Field or not. The Lord bless you if you have. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. But this old fella— but the trouble with him is, if he would grump at the end of the meeting, I wouldn't care. He could say what he liked. But if he wants to say something, he says it out in the meeting. You see? And I was quoting that chorus one night, God is still on the throne. Up comes the verse, where do you think he would be? You know. And you go along with a dread in your heart. For you just never know what he's going to do next. I went on a wee bit over the time one night, and uh, I said we'll sing this hymn and we'll sing the first and the last verses. Sing all the hymn the man wrote. It was the voice that came out of the middle of the meeting. I didn't argue with him. I just got on with it. You see, this is the sort of character he is. But I'm just telling you that in passing, but this is God's eternal governmental throne. The throne from which he controls his vast universe. Very often when I'm traveling to a meeting on a Lord's Day morning, which I have to do quite a bit now, I will turn on the radio to see what the morning service is. And if it's any use, I'll keep it on. And If it's no use, I'll just turn it off. I like the hymn singing. It does you good as you're on your way to a meeting. But anyway, the other Lord's Day morning, I turned it on in the middle of the first hymn and they were singing about the great creation that God had brought into being. And then when the hymn was over, this minister, I have no idea who the man was at all, but he led in prayer. And he started off with two words, Creator God. I've never heard anybody starting off a prayer like that before. And the more I thought about that throughout the day, the more I realized he was right. All things were made by Him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how it is. Now, this is the throne from which He rules, absolutely and completely. You might say to me tonight, "Well, look at the mess of the world." Is that now, my friend? Remember, Adam took the reins out of the hands of the God and He put them into the hands of the devil. But Christ will come out one day in resurrection power and he'll take the keys and all back. And that's the day we await for. A longing day that is as yet to come. But let's go on a little further. He said this, And one sat on the throne. Wonder who this is. The one who sits on the throne. Let me say this, especially to young believers who may be setting out to study your Bible. I do not like to hear people speculating about what they think something is teaching. There's something that you should learn. I learned it many, many years ago. And it's what we call the law of first mention. This book of Revelation is end to the other with symbols that are to teach you and I something find the symbol find where it occurs first discover the meaning there and it never changes the Bible never alters that's a great principle the law of first mention there's only one symbol In the book of the Revelation, that's not to be found anywhere else in the Bible that I can find. And as far as I can remember, yes, it's Revelation 2 and the verse number 17. It comes in, in the Lord's message to the church at Pergamos. We read this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. Now, that's the one that I can't find anywhere. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. All the rest are in your Bible. So we're coming to one or two of them now. The third verse. We're going to look at the ruler. John goes on, And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. That's a very odd description, isn't it? The one who's sitting on the throne there, he looks like a jasper and a sardine stone. That's a strange description. I'm sure you'd agree. But you've got to remember, friends, that the first readers of the revelation came from a Jewish background. John was a Jew. No question about that one. So was every one of the twelve. And of course, we owe the nation of Israel our Bible. That's where we got it. All the writers are Jews. And of course, it was the nation of Israel that brought forth our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was that very nation who brought forth the Savior, and through the Savior, Satan was destroyed. That's why Satan hates the Jew. It produced that which annihilated him, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's this jasper and a sardine stone mean to a Jewish mind? Well, if you go into the tabernacle, I won't turn this up tonight, you'll find in the tabernacle there was the breastplate of the high priest Here which he wore. It symbolizes our Lord Jesus Christ taking the people of God into the presence of God on his heart. He wore it here, the breastplate. There were 12 stones on the breastplate. The very first stone was the jasper stone. And the very last one was the sardine stone. So we're looking at the first and the last. Didn't Christ say, I am the first and the last? But can we go a little bit, maybe tighter or deeper in this? Because if you take the word Reuben, it means, behold a son, Israel's oldest boy. Behold a son. And you take the word Benjamin, it means son of my right hand. Not hard to know who's on the throne. Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes the footstool of thy feet. The one throne is Christ, beyond the shadow of Yes, he swapped the tree for the throne. And there he rules in reigns, in royal and regal majesty. He sits on the throne. Now, let's go. My goodness, look where this clock is. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. I heard someone on the television there one night talking about rainbows. Therefore, I was interested to listen Every rainbow you see is circular. So if you're looking for the end of a rainbow to dig it up and find a pot of gold, you're wasting your time. There is no end to it. And there's all kinds of colors in the rainbow. I used to know them, but I can't remember them now at all. I was taught them when I was at school. But here's a strange thing. There's a rainbow round about this throne in a vertical way, up this way, up and down. In sight, like unto an emerald. Green only. Now, I've never seen a rainbow like that. When you go into heaven, friend, you'll see this throne. And you'll see the one who sits upon it. And you'll see this great rainbow that encircles the throne. Why is it there and why is it green? Well, God put the rainbow in the cloud to tell the world that he would never again destroy it with a flood—that we know—but the emerald is another stone of the breastplate of the high priest, and it's the symbol of the tribe of Judah. And praised. it's not not to be praised for the way he has kept his covenant. The world has never again been destroyed by a flood. I know that miniature floods have come. Now that answers the question, was the whole world covered with the flood? Yes, it was. There's no doubt about it. But there's these things that occur from time to time. We had down there in down Patrick and so on. Terrible, terrible experience for the people there. God never said that I wouldn't come. He said he would never again destroy the earth, the world, the flood, and he never will. He'll destroy it the next time with fire and brimstone. That's another issue. Now, I've got to leave that there. Much more I'd like to say. So we've had the rapture, the renew, the, the ruler. Let's come to the reigning. This is where you and I come in. This is very special. Now watch if you want to know a bit about your future. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Now, I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar. Sometimes I wish I had learned a bit, but I never did. But I learn what I learn from others. And I, I understand that the word that's rendered seats there is the very same word as is rendered throne. So it could be read, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats thrones. Now, this is not upwards. This is circular. Round about this throne where Christ is sitting, there are 24 other thrones. So this, beyond a doubt, is a reigning scene. 24 other thrones. Very, very significant. And then he goes on to say this. I saw 4 and 20 elders sitting there. Each one, On the throne. Now what on earth are we to learn from that? 24. Well, what we have here, my friends, is the whole priestly family of both the Old and New Testament. Now let me show you something. David had his problems during his time of reigning, but one of the problems he did have Massively, was with the tribe of Levi. The Levites had grown by hundreds and thousands. And I'll use language you can understand. They were tripping over one another. In the service of the tabernacle and what have you. Tripping over each other. David wondered what he would do. He sought advice and he got it. And he divided the whole Levitical family into 24 courses, 24 sections, you see. And you remember when John the Baptist was born, his father was Zacharias of the course of Abiah. He was one of the original 24 and if my memory serves me right, I think he was number eight, but that could be wrong. He was either seven or eight, one of the two. But that was an existence when Christ was here. Now, there's nothing on this earth to do with the tabernacle of the temple, friend, not found in heaven originally. Here it is. The whole priestly family gathered around Christ. not that an amazing thing? Every one of them is there. Haven't we been made a kingdom of priests unto God and his Father? Someday you're going into heaven to take your seat. It doesn't just mean that there's 24 thrones there. They are representative of the whole priestly family. When the Lord comes, you'll go through the door, you'll see the throne, you'll see the rainbow, You'll see the seat with your name on it and you'll go forward and sit down to rule and reign with Christ. A lot more I could say. Just to whet your appetite to think, how many apostles of the Lamb were there? There were 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12. 12 and 12 make 24. The priestly family is here. Thus, the redeemed of all ages, ruling and reigning with Christ. You're there. I'm there. If we're saved tonight, John saw you and John saw me. This is completed now. This is finished. Nobody else will ever be added to this. And look at this wee bit, and I'll finish quickly. I'll be getting the sack. They were clothed in white raiment. The only thing, oh, I better be careful of the wording I use. I want to use the word thing. I don't say that. The only person I've ever seen, in white is a bride. That's the only one I've ever seen. I do well remember doing a wedding one time, and I never saw such a tears party between a bride and her mother in all my life. Such a job as I had. She fell on her way in. Oh, what a mess. She fell in muck. And they fiddled and they footed and they washed and they brushed at that dress. And they made quite a good job of it. But I can tell you, it wasn't a nice thing to happen. It certainly wasn't. She failed. But when we get there, friends, we're robed in the righteousness of Christ. That's it. You'll be pure white. Sinning will be impossible. Sin will not be there. You'll be robed in white. Now here's the lovely bit that I want you to notice. Christ has not in been set up yet. comes in further along. has it been set up yet? The you go to heaven. A crown, and you get that crown simply because you belong to Christ. So there's no such a thing as a non-crown believer in heaven. that. You will gain a golden crown. Here's something to. I'll shut the book. Here's something to think about. I don't wear a ring and never have done of any sort i had a brother a friend a cousin of mine who was putting up the back of a door one day in a lorry i don't know what on earth he done but his wedding ring caught in the hook and the lorry drove off and it tore the finger clean off him and that put the idea of a wedding ring out of my head forever i'd never wear it in matter what i had to do or how much i was coaxed. i just wouldn't do it but uh, i'm not an awkward character mind you but i do like to keep all my fingers if i personally possibly, possibly can that's what happened to him. But here's the thing about this gold, and you can go away home and have a good think about this. If you put got a finger tonight, it's yellow color. It's gold. The gold in heaven is so pure it's white. It's actually transparent. You can see through it. That's a remarkable thing. And that's the kind of crown that you and I will get. Heaven's a wonderful place, isn't it? Are you glad you're going? Nobody. Oh, come on. Are you glad you're going? Amen. I'm glad to hear it. I'll come back to you, brother. Okay? I'm not going to tell you I'm sorry for going over the time for not one bit. (laughs) I have a wee grandson at nine year old. He's character. They say he's like me, I don't know whether he is or not. But uh, I was teasing him one day, at one about something, keeping him going, you see. He looked at me, he says, Ghana, he calls me Ghana. You preach and you tell lies. <laughs> that shot me up. <laughs> and there it is, he was probably Right. <laughs>